Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Everybody. Wow. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Jenny's a little out of practice. It's been six weeks since you've spoken. It, I have so took a bow of silence. We're back. We are back. Oh my gosh. It's time for season three. It really is. I'm very excited. Me too. But before we get there, we must <laughs> share with you a couple of important things. First of all, this Sunday, September 10th at 2 p.m. Pacific, over on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash bufferingcast, we will be going live to celebrate our millionth download, which happened a little bit ago, yes. and we're going to be playing some songs and aing your cues and hanging <laughs> out in general to celebrate and have a blast with you. So please join us. It's open to everyone. Come on down, 2 p.m., on Sunday, Pacific time. Yes, and in, in the same uh, vein in terms of saving the date, um, please save the date for October 14th if you're in the Los Angeles area. Uh, we will be doing another live taping at Nerd Melt Showroom here in Los Angeles. Uh, it, it may or may not be up on their calendar yet, but we want you to put it in your calendars. You can totally check out um, their site and see if the tickets are up yet. If they're not, they'll be up very shortly. But we want to let you know that October 14th, uh, that is where we will be, and we hope Hope that you will be there too. Yes. Furthermore, you may be afraid that now that it's season three, we don't have merch anymore, but we do. <laughs> Against all odds, we are still chock full of Smash the Demon Lizard patriarchy tees and awoo shirts and CDs and pins designed by Kate Leth and also Christine Tuna. Yeah. It's all so great, and you can find it by visiting our website, bufferingthevampireslayer.com, and clicking on shop. Yes, and on a more serious note, two more serious notes, we wanted to let you know that we are going to talk a, a little bit about everything that has happened with Joss and Joss's ex-wife, Kai, uh, something that we normally would not dig into if it didn't overlap so directly with um, feminism and patriarchy and other things that we talk about on this show, but we are not going to do that until the end of the show. So if you're here for that, it is at the end, uh, <laughs> but we suggest you listen to the whole thing because uh, the episode's pretty fun. And also, since we last talked to you, um, the climate has done a few atrocious things, but mm -hmm. one in particular in Houston, Texas. We know many of you listen from Houston, Texas, and we are hoping that you are all safe. We are devastated by what we are seeing in your beautiful city. We have both been to Houston. We both love Houston. Mm -hmm. And um, we are going to do our best to support the incredible efforts that need to happen to restore your city back to where it once was. So this month, and we have decided that we're going to do this every month for a different cause because the world is is a fucking garbage fire right now. <laughs> so every month we're going to do this for a different cause. In September, we're going to kick things off for uh, Houston, for the Hurricane Harvey Relief Fund in Houston. We are going to do five handwritten lyric sheets. They are up in our store. They cost $100 each. We'll do the full song for you or a segment from a song. Uh, you tell us what you'd like and 100% of those proceeds. So that's $100 because we're not going to take the money for the paper or the pen ink. So um, 100 
$100 of your um, donation will go directly to Hurricane Harvey and we'll send you that lyric sheet in exchange. So you can find that also on our website, bufferingthevampireslayer.com. Just click on shop and it's in our store. Uh, Again, Houston, we send you so much of our love and so much of our strength. And we hope that you are all safe and finding shelter and safety. All right. That's all the business. Now let's get to the party. Welcome to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one at a time in chronological order. I'm Jenny Owen Youngs. And I am Kristen Russo. And this week we are back and we are talking about season three. Season three. Did everybody hear that? Season three? Season three. Hmm. Episode one. And stay tuned at the end of this podcast every week for an original song written by us recapping the Buffy episode we are discussing. And was written and directed by Joss Whedon and originally aired on September 29th, 1998. This is the one where Buffy, living on her own in a big city, assists a girl whose boyfriend has mysteriously vanished. Back in Sunnydale, Buffy's friends do their best to battle the forces of evil. Not bad, IMDb. That was a really good one. Right? And I read it kind of like movie phone again. You so, did. yeah, I, you know, when I like them, I, I try to really get into character. I mean, if, In a world, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> if the actual text has a rhythm and yes. a flow and a musicality to it, right? the way you read it is going to be a lot more natural. Not, it's not iambic pentameter, but it's something. I, you're not iambic pentameter. Wow, rude. I know. Right at the way beginning of the new start, season. Way to start too. the season off on a rough but Jenny. How dare you. So how have you been, Jenny? I'm wondering because I don't see you we apart haven't from seen each when other we do for the, the last six weeks. I'll tell you, Kristen Russo, <laughs> some things have happened. <laughs> they really have. So Jenny and I were like, first of all, when we finished season two and we were like, okay, we'll see you on September 6th. Many of you were like, excuse me, I think you've written that wrong because that is a long time from now and you don't understand what you're <laughs> saying. And we were like, oh, yeah, okay, you're right. It's a, it was a, it's a, we took a six-week break. Um, and I want to say that, you know, I think if we were doing a podcast about Buffy – and just the podcast, that we probably wouldn't take a six-week break in between seasons. But because of the fact that we're also writing the songs at the end, let me promise you all that if we didn't take a six-week break, the the like graph of song quality would slowly descend and like then it would hit sea level and it would go lower uh-huh, uh-huh, and it uh-huh. would get right to the hellmouth is is what I'm trying to write down there. And everybody knows that the worst pop songs uh currently Yes. In existence are all coming out of the hellmouth. Yes, precisely. So we want to avoid that. We're trying to. So so we took six weeks off. We thought, this is going to be great. We'll catch up on our other work. <laughs> we'll relax maybe for a minute. Yeah, we might go to the beach for one day. Perhaps. Uh, however, some of you who follow us on social media know this already, but um, about two, three weeks ago, Mm-hmm. About three weeks ago, we were surprise evicted from our house. No warning. Jenny just walked out to get the mail, and there was a man she did not know, uh, walked up to the door with a piece of paper that said, you have to get out of your house in 60 days or else. 
and our entire world was swept upside down. Um, we found a place that same night somehow, uh, which is, was really cool, but also very rushed because we had to pack up our entire home and move it in four days because why? FlameCon, because we went to yes. FlameCon. Yes. We finished moving the last pieces of furniture and odds and ends into the house at like 7 p.m. on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And then we got up at 4.30 in the morning on Thursday and flew to New York for our weekend at FlameCon. Yes. Which we taped uh, season three, episode two, live from FlameCon. So stay tuned for that next week. Absolutely. But um, yeah. And then we got <laughs> when we got home to our house full of boxes and bags and total disarray, Kristen got a cold. The worst cold I've ever seen Kristen have. She's never been as sick. I was really sick. I still, been. I'm just coming out of it. I still have a little bit of the sniffles, but I was out for like a week. And <laughs> our cat also got a cold while oh, boarding. Right. So in the last like 72 hours, we've been to urgent care twice and the vet ER once. Everyone's fine, but it has been three weeks, everyone. So um, that's what, <laughs> that's our history of where, where we're coming to season three from. Um, but we made it through. We made it through an eviction, a move, uh, a trip to New York, horrible colds for everyone, but knock on wood, Jenny, who uh, has maintained up until this point her health. Holding strong for the time being. Oh, and we are here. I, like, even if I was as sick as I was yesterday, I think that I would have all of the energy in the world to talk about this episode. Yeah. Because not only are we getting to talk about season three, episode one, Anne, but we had the distinct pleasure of getting to interview Julia Lee, who plays in this episode, Lily, becomes Anne by the end, spoilers, uh, and who played Chanterelle in an earlier episode of the, of the series. We got, we got, she came to our house, everyone. She came to our house. And we sat down and we talked with her and we are going to share that interview with you in this episode. We really better get started. We really better. We have a lot to talk about. Oh my gosh. So the Scoobies are in the <laughs> graveyard. You're supposed to think maybe those are Buffy's legs, but they're not. They're willows. And then she's like, yeah, big boy, come and get it. <laughs> and then we all look at the ground for a moment in yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is great because it leads to a, what I wrote in my notes as a punning call out. Because um, <laughs> I don't think they've ever really out loud discussed Buffy's uh, nature of, of, you know, throwing puns at the villains at the, right? Right, 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 So right, that's right. fun. Uh, and Willow is trying to occupy Buffy's shoes by uh, throwing a pun, although, right, a little, it is all cringe a little bit, but also, yep. like, yep. love Willow so much. Absolutely. At the same time. Also, this scene, first of all, let me tell you what, that vamp, uh, Eddie, Eddie the vamp? Mm, Andrew? Oh, Andy? I thought his name Andy. was Eddie, Eddie Holnick was what I wrote down. I think it's Andy. And Andy? Andy wow. Holnick? Whatever. <laughs> Let's talk about it for a little while longer. <laughs> <laughs> he he just, these vamps are dirty when they crawl out of their graves, and it bothers he me. He looked dirty to me. He was not dirty. His first hand came out, no dirt moved. <laughs> Zero know. dirt. The second, the second hand was under one small dirt pile, <laughs> and then his whole body came out, and he was not dirty. Um, but there's two things in this, uh, in this first bit that I loved, too. One is, like, right, Willow tries to fight him. They all sort of, like, miss him. He's doing a lot of jumps and 
crazy moves. Yeah, yeah, because he was on the gymnastics team. Right, that's one of the things is that they're like, oh, well, he used to be on the gymnastics team, right? Right, because statistically, they're probably going to know most of the vampires since their school has such a high mortality right, rate. But we haven't, we haven't learned it, unless I'm mistaken. There has been nothing else in the series up until this one randomly placed line to let us believe that if you had uh, abilities as a human, that ah. you will retain those abilities as a vampire. So, right, they all just sort of seem to come out of the ground with the same basic yes. karate skills. Right. So I just, I thought this was fun. I thought, you know, perhaps Angel had a lifetime of brooding before. He oh. was good at it before he was a vampire. That's all I'm right. saying. So then it's just enhanced. Right. He becomes in okay, got enhanced, it. enhanced brooding for Eddie or Andy or whatever this gymnast vampire's name is. Uh-huh. Uh, enhanced gymnastic skills. And I also love, there's this beautiful culmination and the vampire is running away oh. and I Man. grabs the stage. And he like stares it down and he's like, mmm, and like licks his finger and sticks it into the wind to see which way the wind is blowing. Uh-huh. And then hucks that stake. And then clank. It just <laughs> lands on the, like not nowhere close to it. It's really, really great. And it's a perfect, it's a perfect snapshot of like the Scoobies attempting this without Buffy. Right. Right. Like the heart is there. The right. energy is there. It's just the skill set. <laughs> Right. Not this is much. definitely if this were a movie and Buffy was like never coming back for the rest of the movie. Yes. Uh, this would be the pre-train before training montage. Yes. This would be their like sort nice. of Three Stooges version of trying to slay. <laughs> yeah. It's very sweet. It's very good to see them all. Um, but of course, Buffy isn't there, and they have this conversation before they leave the graveyard about school starting the next day, and it's really yeah. it's really sad because you can see like you know they've all, they're all amped up on like trying to fight vampires, but then like reality sets in and they're like, we start school and she's still not back. There's a couple of cute moments. Willow wondering what her first homework assignment will be. Uh-huh. Very, uh-huh. very sweet. Um, and Oz, we learn in this moment, right, Oz has graduated or so we think. Right. So Oz isn't <laughs> going to be back to school, of course. That isn't actually the truth. We, no, will get, no, no. we will get to that. But the scene ends with Willow, right? I think it's Willow saying, I wish we knew where she was. Yeah. Cut to... <laughs> you knew where she was (laughs) she's standing on a beach in a white sweater staring somberly out across the waves but then it's revealed immediately that of course this isn't a real beach somewhere I mean maybe in 1998 is that what year we're still in 1998 Mm -hmm. maybe in 1998 for a minute you thought she was on a beach with Angel but this is like pretty heavy handedly a dream Um, and you know there's this back and forth between her and Angel if I was blind I would see you Uh uh you know it's very romantic in an over the top way and ends of course this is reminiscent of that scene where Buffy is like when you when I kiss you you make me want to die <laughs> and runs away this scene ends with not even if you kill me and then she right. wakes up right, right but we should also mention that she says stay with me and he says like forever that's the whole point it's right important of for course. us to mention that because of, yes. it does come back it does it does if you haven't watched the episode what are you doing listening to this go watch the episode but it does come back then she wakes up yes from this dreamy nightmare and, uh, and walks to the window yes. where there are many sirens. Right. Blaring. And this is, I mean, I'll probably talk about this again. I don't know. But like this whole like skid row 
thing in this episode. Mm-hmm. Like I, ha- I have on one hand an appreciation for the fact that we've come out of the end of season two where Buffy has assen- essentially been told by her mom when she came out of the closet to not come back home. So she is like a runaway teen, and uh, a runaway LGBTS teen, S for Slayer. Oh my God. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like the, if we're following the narrative, if we're following the metaphor through that um, this is really following sort of a coming out trajectory, then I have a lot of respect for the fact that like this is a huge thing, right? LGBT, homeless youth, um, this is a huge population, a huge issue in our country and abroad um, of, of young people who are kicked out of their homes when they come out or when they're outed and so on and so forth. But there's like a certain something about the way the city, like the gritty city is depicted that just rubs me the wrong way. It seems like, I just feel like this show is so imaginative and so um, complex in so many of its layers that it just felt a little bit like they were like, okay, how do we signal that she's like on Skid Row? And they were like, how about we pan down and there's a siren. Like I just, you know what I mean? I don't know. I just, uh, it is the shortest of shorthands. I mean, we're trying to get to the credits here. It is, it is. So, and we do. We do get to the credits. We do. And they are new. So many things are happening. New logo. New recording of Nerf Herder playing the theme song. Yeah. Seth Green is in the credits. Yeah. A lot of werewolf clips. A lot of werewolf clips. Xander fresh out of the pool in the credits. (laughs) Giles with a fire sword in the credits. (laughs) Very exciting. And everybody looks old. Like everybody looks more wizened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More experienced. Yeah, we watched season two and season three credits back to back just to like, at first I thought we were going to note the differences and then I was like, the entire thing is different. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, they all look kind of baby-faced in the season two credits. Uh, Even the even the logo looks baby-faced and like everyone has grown up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, has seen a little they're bit They're getting more. older. They're in. They're entering their third season of, of shooting this show, which is like a lot of like really late night, like late into the night shoots. <laughs> yeah. Spending a lot of time, I'm sure, on promotional events Wow, so and this tours. isn't even just acting. This is just no, the no, actors. I- Jenny's theory is the actors are old and tired. <laughs> and they look at in the no, I Everybody just, looks great. I just think they've been doing a really hard job mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, a little while. Yeah. Not that, I mean, some of them, they've come to the show with varying levels of experience, but this particular show, I feel like, is, they look like we did when we got to the end of taping season two of this show. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Oh, yeah. Of. If we had credits, we would definitely look older and <laughs> More wizened now. (laughs) We also get a new closing shot of the credits where Buffy is holding that great sort of like semi-circular axe weapon yes. uh, that we'll see later in this episode, which is so great. And that comes from this episode, which is so fun. And so after the credits, we go to Buffy waiting tables. She's just doing what every waitress does, delivering food and absorbing as much sexual harassment as she can without spontaneously combusting. And, you know, if if we were doing this show live with, if we were taping this podcast as the show was airing, I would go out on a limb and I would say, you know, I think somebody in the writer's room was listening to our podcast because <laughs> they opened the whole season with the patriarchy. The patriarchy. That was our new patriarchy jingle uh, created by <laughs> Jenny Owen Youngs. Uh, if you didn't listen to our recap, you missed a lot. We uh, we have a few new jingles. Yeah, yeah. The season two wrap up was just... <laughs> 
filthy with jingles. <laughs> Speaking of filthy, uh, these two filthy men. First of all, what are these truck? You know how truckers are always, always stopping in downtown LA? Yeah. Like, <laughs> shouldn't they be at like a Love's yeah. or a Flying J somewhere? Yeah, true. But who knows? I don't know. I've not been to diners downtown LA. Maybe there's a couple, you know. We will have to do some we'll research. Yeah, we're here. We can. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, this just this disgusting moment. Sure, you don't want me to work it off for Blech. you, says one of the men. And then they slap, then this one man slaps her ass. And this is a really important moment. This is where I can't suspend my disbelief. But maybe. No, this is, yeah. this, I think this is very pointed because it reminds, I mean, we've seen Buffy's ass get slapped one other time. Mm. And it was by Larry and it was in the gym. And she oh, flipped yeah. that fucker onto the ground in a split second. And we see her because the camera pans right into the back of her head when it happens. And you see her look and you see her squash it all down, right? Because it, it's signaling to us that like she is, she is not, she's not Buffy right now. Like she, or she is because oh. you see that instinct of like, I'm going to kick this guy's ass, but it's like, that's not why she's here. Right. She's right. not here to make, like make a scene, fight back, whatever. She's here because she wanted to disappear. Right, and right, so right. I think that it's a really important moment um, that we see her swallow this because we would never see Buffy swallow yeah, this yeah, in yeah, any yeah. other context. Uh, anyway, can we talk about her hair for a second? Go for it. Okay, well, I'm not going to say a lot because I don't know if you uh, have heard of Kate Leth, but uh, <laughs> Kate Leth is back in this episode and she has a couple of things to say about hair, but my one note was, when in the hell did she have time to get these highlights done is what she left in her sad overalls. She walked <laughs> onto the bus. She took the bus to Los Angeles where she somehow got a job waiting tables and saved enough money to get an apartment. I don't know, whatever. Uh, but... <laughs> When did she, how did she, I just, there's a little hole there for me, but it lo looking good. Totally. So let's, shall we, shall we hear from Kate? Let's do it. Great. It's time for our friend Kate to give you the Buffy fashion update. Welcome back to Buffy Fashion Watch as we careen headfirst into season three. There is so much exciting fashion to come. I cannot wait to start talking about all the pleather. But this episode starts um, pretty innocuously. There's not a ton of fashion standouts, even Cordelia, aside from her sateen cloud printed pants, which are quite something in her almost sweater set that matches her purse exactly. It's also very, very good. But the real standouts here are the haircuts. And there is nothing that I love more than a new season haircut. It is such a staple and it is just such an enjoyment for me. This season, we get to see Willow finally get a grown-up haircut, which I'm referring to as the Claire Danes in my so-called life. And yeah, I checked the timelines and it makes sense. And Buffy gets the Rachel it doesn't stick around as far as I can remember, although she definitely has those light blonde streaks in the front for most of the season. But the Rachel, the Rachel, the most famous haircut of all time. And I started to talk about her having it in season two, and then I realized, no, no, she gets it for real later on. And also, the timelines make sense. This would have happened after the first and second season of Friends. And... I did a little bit of research into the Rachel because I've always found it really fascinating. I remember growing up and just seeing people talk about it everywhere and every hairdresser, it was the bane of their existence and People Magazine always had it on the cover. This is the haircut. This is the thing that will change your whole life. And 
there is a section on Jennifer Anderson, well, Rachel's Wikipedia page about sort of, you know, her impact or the impact of her character. And it's five paragraphs and four of them are about her haircut. It also credits that haircut with making her the highest paid performer on Friends. Did you also know that by the ninth and tenth seasons of Friends, they were all making a million dollars per episode? Although Jennifer Aniston was making slightly more than Courtney Cox. And the website credits that with her haircut. Her haircut! I can't even believe it. Anyway, it's not my favorite of Buffy's haircuts, but it is cute that it starts to vary a little bit more. And everyone, everyone gets really good looks this season. I even really like the, uh, the scene in the bronze where Willow's got on that daisy shirt with the long sleeves. She looks a little bit older. She looks like she has a little bit more style. And if you forget about the horrible purple hat she wears in like the second or third scene in the library, ugh, God, it's pretty good. I'm so excited for the rest of this season. And until then... I'll see you at the mall. That was our friend Kate. She gave you the Buffy fashion update. Thank you, Kate. Oh. Good to be back down the street from your mall. <laughs> Nothing pleases me more than when we get to pull in other 90s television show references into this one and compare and contrast our 90s knowledge. It's just a joy. Wow. Truly. <laughs> truly. Uh, so, okay, so we're we're back at the diner, uh, and this is when we meet uh, Lily. Well, we don't, you know, we're meeting this character whose name is now Lily, and her boyfriend, Ricky, and they're having this conversation about what to get. Okay, their- here's the thing. Yes. She's no. like, what will you have? And yep. Ricky is like, what can we get for this? And he puts on the table, I'm, I believe, seven pennies you and counted? like three nickels uh-huh. and a couple of dimes. Right. And then they're like, should we get cake? Lily says, should we get cake? Ricky's like, no, we got to be healthy. We got to get pie. pie, It's fruit. But let me tell you what the amount of change that they put on the table (laughs) will not buy. It's even a slice of pie in 1998 in downtown LA. Yeah, yeah. For those of you listening who weren't born in 1998, you could not get pie. (laughs) Although I will say, like, here's the thing. I I didn't count the change, but it was believable to me because – I was a smoker in 1998, a new, a brand new baby smoker. Uh-huh. Don't worry, everyone. Don't I smoke, qu- I kids. Quit. Don't start smoking to try to be cool like teen Kristen. <laughs> oh, my God. Teen Kristen, I don't know that you'd classify her as cool. But <laughs> um, but I remember, because I, I smoked for seven years, and by the end of my smoking journey, it cost a lot of money to buy a pack of cigarettes. But at the beginning, in 1998, I could scrounge around in the bottom of my car for change and come up with enough change to buy a pack of cigarettes because it was like two bucks or something. First of all, it's really troubling to me that you were just like throwing change on the floor of I your car. I was throwing all willy-nilly. That was... is unacceptable. Did you always keep a clean car? Yeah. Wow. Even as a teen? Yeah. My car was a living nightmare. Like my parents were always like, what, why, how, you know? Like, I, I too would like to know why and how. I mean, I was, I was a teen. I had things to do, like buy cigarettes with my change. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Come on. Anyway, Lily, who we have met already as Chanterelle, yes. recognizes Buffy. And this is another moment where we're like, oh, Buffy is like super hiding right because as soon as Lily is like do I know you Buffy is out she's like I don't feel well cover my shift bye right right right. but Buffy doesn't cut out before Lily and Ricky show her their matching tattoo and she's like whoa that's pretty permanent and Ricky echoes Angel from her dream nightmare by saying yeah forever that's the whole point right yeah which is weird which is weird how did he know 
Uh, <laughs> then we cut to the library, which is hopping. The library. Never seen. No. A fraction of that many people in the library. Has the entire school is in the library. So Giles works at the library primarily for one day per year. Yes. Right? He's First day he's of hired all year so that he can definitely be there to absorb the extreme shockwaves on day one of school. Yeah. I'm going to tell you what. A lot of um, satisfaction. What do you call that stuff that, like, when people like watching, like, people pop, um, like, bubble wrap or whatever. It's like ASMR. Yeah, ASMR. I got, I had a little bit of that when he was scanning the barcodes with the little pen with the light on it. Just an extreme sense of satisfaction. Wow. Uh, from that moment. So whatever. The library is hopping. Now, briefly, Kate mentioned this, but I just want to take a moment for Cordelia's. I ca- I called it a sweater set. I mean, Kate Kate's the expert here. Kate right, 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 right. We but defer this, to her expertise. This like lime green, yellow situation. She looks great. She looks real good. She and looks like a cup of sherbet. She does. And you know who else looks like uh, a cup of sherbet, but in a very different way is Willow. Yeah. With this purple hat. I mean, no. this, this has to be one of Willow's more famous hats. I've seen it a lot on the internet. Uh, <laughs> it's quite a choice. But you know, it's the first day of school. Right. The first day of Dressed school. Dressed to impress. Yeah, you got to pick your best stuff. Uh-huh. And Willow, the purple <laughs> hat. <laughs> purple hat is it. <laughs> so Cordelia and Xander have this whole thing going on where they're just right, losing right. their minds. They're over. really excited to see each other, but they don't want each other to know. Right. And they're both convinced that the other person lost interest over the summer. Mind you, so Cordelia apparently went on vacation the day after school ended and yes. didn't get back till last night. Right, right. Very strange. She Cordelia- hasn't seen Xander all summer. In my mind, Cordelia went to Dirty Dancing and right. came back, right? Oh, my God. Like, 100%. Yes. Cordelia, like, if you just followed Cordelia, you'd watch the movie Dirty Dancing, but Cordelia would be the, I think Cordelia would be the older sister. Sorry. I mean, I she wouldn't. She would be, Cordelia would be Penny. Let's be, let's be real. I, Cordelia would be Penny, I think. My, my very gauzy memories of Dirty Dancing line Penny up with is that. the one that Patrick Swayze is is like, you know, helping out. Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, 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 yeah. I just try to think of the coolest person in Dirty Right, Dancing. right. And I think it's Penny. <laughs> it's totally Penny. So, uh, anyway, um, right, they're back. They're doing this whole dance. And what's oh hilarious. My gosh. Oh, sorry. No, I just I just think it's hilarious how that whole thing ends. Right. Um, is like, I'm going to this and I'm going to that and he's going to this and he's going to that. And then we finally see them get together and they have nothing to say to each other. <laughs> they sort of sputter out and kind of fight, but not really. And that's the end of it. What were you going to say, Jenny? Because I want to talk about what leads us to this. Right, 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 right. I was going to say towards the beginning of this scene um, – when Willow and Cordelia first start talking and Willow's like how was your summer and Mm. Cordelia's response is I can't believe you brought that up yeah (laughs) which is so great it really is and this so this camera work I mean we don't often talk about camera work on the podcast but this is an incredible shot this shot starts with Cordelia and Willow outside of the library and it winds us through just like Oz and Willow. Then we get to uh, Willow, Oz, and Xander. Then we get Larry walking by, which I want to talk about. Then we get, you know, there's like a million cuts and angles. And this reminded me of like a scene from West Wing Weekly with the Uh, walk. The West Wing? (laughs) Shut up. I don't think they're doing walk and talks on West Wing Weekly Yeah, they are. You just can't see them. They're walking the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. The West Wing. Not to be confused with the West Wing Weekly. I just thought it was incredible and worth noting 
Oz is still in school. Oz, we find out, did not do summer school. Right, He's right. Back, Whoops, forgot to do summer school. Which is convenient for the for the show. You know, very. It's a lot easier to have Oz involved in the storyline of Oz is attending high school. Um, <laughs> we have Xander say this horrible comment about heat and ducking and covering. I don't like it. No, thank you. No, thank you. Uh, and then Larry, I love this moment. Oh my with god, Larry! First of all. It's all about egg whites, Larry, Larry shouts. It's all about egg whites. I love it. And he's then, like, egg whites good, mysterious deaths bad. Yeah, he's like, if we can focus, keep discipline, and not have so many mysterious deaths, Sunnydale is going to rule. It's just, <laughs> it's such a great line. It's such a great line, and it's such a good moment. Larry, we love you. Uh, so, and, yes. I do want to say before we, before we leave this long, uh, beautiful, artfully crafted walk and talk, so West Wing Weekly doesn't. I <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, they got me, fuckers. West Wing doesn't start until what 1999, I believe. Right. Right. This is 1998, and I'm. I recall from the commentary of an episode, a very important episode in season five, where there is a similar long walk and talk mm. that uh, visits multiple people over the course of itself, uh, where the director of that episode talks about uh, just really being influenced by Paul Thomas Anderson, who famously directed uh, movies that are full of long-ass walk-and talks like Mm. Boogie Nights and Magnolia. Uh, Boogie Nights came out in 1997. So if we're going to guess what the inspiration for this long scene is, I'm going to say PTA, Boogie Nights. Wow, Boogie Nights. Great. Let's watch that again someday soon. What a great... I love Boogie Nights. It was a re- revolutionary movie of its time. Most really. definitely. I mean, God, it really was such a big deal. I, what, yeah. You said 97? So mm-hmm. yeah, that, as a 17-year-old, that was like, oh, movies yeah. are so cool. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's the walk and talk. That's the scene we get in the school. Now we cut back. <laughs> To this, ah. And this is what I'm talking about, about heavy-handed, like fine with the siren. But really, a can of I mean, SpaghettiOs? A can of, it might as well be a can of beans, guys. Well, here's Come on. the thing. Here's the thing. Like, you she's have enough. She has having enough. a hard time. She's too sad to worry about whether or not she's being a cinematic cliche. I, okay, okay, that's true. I have. Have you ever eaten out of a cold can before? Yes. Because I have. Yeah. When did you eat out of a cold can? Oh, I'm sure when I was very sad or... Very young. Yeah. I was very, I was very tired and ill and on tour and I didn't have, Ugh. I just like, you know, all the restaurants oh, in I that remember. city were closed. Those cans. Yes. And it was very, it was very sad. So it does happen, but it just, I don't know. I just, I just need a little it's bit It's again, more. the shortest of hands. There's a lot happening in this episode. Right. A lot to explain. There is. There is. And this is the first time that we see um, somebody, this I think it's an old woman in the first shot, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who says, I'm no one. Right. Uh, bringing us into what I would like to call our uh, Game of Thrones parallel. This episode. <laughs> Listen, Jenny. Oh. I am no one. They... The, you think that that underground place we're going to is uh, the House of Black and White? I do. I think it's the of... origin story for the God of Many Faces. What's wow. his name? The God of Many Faces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Many Faced God. I yeah, think yeah, this yeah. is. I think there's a tie in here because you know what? On top of everyone having to say, "I am no one. Who are you? I am no one. I have <laughs> no name." Uh, what's his face? Ken falls through the floor and pulls off his rubber face. Right. Oh, the, that's excellent. The parallels excellent are point. everywhere. A lot of rubber so, faces in the house of black of, and white. Yes. So I'm just saying, you know what? I think I think down there somewhere, the god of men. Jack and Hagar is chilling. Jack, Jack and Hagar is down there, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyhow, 
then uh, we we also see it cuts to Giles. And right, we, right, 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 right. We learn that Giles, of course, who loves to break our hearts, has been <sighs> Dad! following. Oh, has just been following all these leads, trying to find Buffy. Of course he has. Of course he has. And he's off uh, to check on another one, right? Yes, he's off to San Francisco. Is that where he's going? Uh, Oakland. Oakland. Not to be confused with San Francisco. Well, I mean, I'm so sorry. Often to be confused. Yes, I've gotten in trouble for that before. But I know you're a different city, Oakland. I know you're a different city than San Francisco. Everyone calm down. So Buffy's out for uh, a late night stroll on Skid Row, as you do. Of course, yes. And uh, who should come up behind her but Lily first calling out Anne, Anne, and then calling out Buffy, <laughs> wow. indicating that she has put the pieces together. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, and we get Lily's whole backstory. Right, right. She's like, oh, I used to hang with this group of uh, people who like worship vampires right. back then. And Buffy has like no Terrell. time for it. She's like, okay, yes, I remember. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> yeah. yes, fine. Right. And, um, you know, but but there's something that happens between the two of them too here. We're like, uh, Lily is really reaching out to Buffy uh, and right. saying, you know, listen, I, I know how it is when you need to get lost. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like I might not have, we might not have been on the same plane when we were in Sunnydale, but like here, I've kind of been walking this path for a long time. And so if you want help or if you want to talk or if you want whatever, um, maybe you want to come to this party with me. A She's rave. Really, there's a rave. There's a, a house rave. rave. Yes. And you know, in this day and age, it's not as common to hear somebody say, hey, there's a rave happening in so-and-so's basement. But I do want to say that in the 90s, there were a lot of raves. Yeah, I think if somebody, <laughs> I was thinking when we were watching it, like, oh my God, a rave? Like, that is the last thing I would like to be invited to. But then, like, thinking back to my 1998 self, if somebody yeah. had been like, want to go to this rave, I would be like, already in their car. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I went to raves. I mean, uh, listen, I don't know. I don't know the, like, textbook definition <laughs> of a rave, but I definitely went to things where people had lots of glow sticks. Right. I think that's the, and we're the dancing, number one ingredient. And a lot of them number were on ecstasy. Number I three think, ingredient. Right. Glow sticks, dancing, and ecstasy. ecstasy. That's how you make a rave, right? Yeah. That's the, the, okay. So <laughs> bring it to a boil and then cover and simmer for, <laughs> till the morning light. Uh, uh, so anyhow, then of course, in, Buffy is saying like, "No, I can't. Uh, it's too many people for me right now." You know, I and she's really actually trying to say like, "It's like I actually might want to spend time with you, but I can't go to a party right now. It's too right. overwhelming for right, me." Right, right, right. Um, and then this man walks through, saying, "Well, he didn't say anything at first. Uh-huh. He walks out into the middle of the street, saying, "I am no one." Yep. Second time we hear it, Buffy like saves him from getting hit by a car but for some reason gets hit by the car it just we've seen her push cordelia yeah. out of the way of a ups truck and stay out of the way herself yes. and for yet. some reason she but, did did it the other way this time yeah she got hit by a car but obviously she's fine because she's you know one girl in all the world etc cetera, etc cetera. Right, 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 right. and um everyone's like oh my god are making you making okay? a fuss and she just doesn't want to be seen by she anyone. doesn't she just said she doesn't like a lot of people <laughs> around her so she runs off into one of the alleyways very nice to see that los angeles equipped with all of the alleys that a slayer <laughs> needs yep 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 um, just like home yeah and she runs right into ken uh, and this is the first time we meet Ken. I love Ken. Ken uh, is great. Ken is a great villain. I, I believe Ken to be a great villain. And um, we we meet him and he's like, you know, whatever, you look lost and this isn't a place for kids and like you should come to this house and I'll give you hope and da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> and, then, and then the music starts to play, doesn't it? 
It just, it starts to play. I called it a Sarah McLaughlin moment, even though we looked it up in the right. series. Uh, Belly Love. Belly Love is the name of this band playing at the bronze. But the music starts with a montage. And again, I'm sorry. I don't, I just, it just, none of it felt real enough to me. I, I don't know what it, and I wish I had like a more eloquent way of digging into why I, I just felt you know when you watch those videos of the puppies? That's why I called it the Sarah right, McLaughlin right, thing. Right, 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 right. And it's like, really, where did you get the footage for? I don't know about. You know, it's just you know what I a think? little heavy-handed. Do you know what I think? What do you think? I think a lot about. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Maybe the the person that I've heard talk about this is Joanna Robinson, mm-hmm. friend of the pod, Joanna Robinson. <laughs> uh, and forgive me if I'm miscrediting, but um, the idea that uh, there are pre 9-11 movies and post 9-11 movies and that like American Beauty is like the example that I recall of like a movie that wouldn't have gotten made after 9-11 because like the way the 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 issues that it dealt with were like not sort of like global you Mm. know what I mean it was it was like totally personal and like very white and just like very sort of like singular and after, like in a post 9-11 world, a movie like that feels less meaningful and like less heavy. And like I feel maybe I'm off the mark here, but I feel like this little montage yeah. 20 years later feels like um just sort of like a cartoon of what right. you know, the way that we yeah. think about things now. Yeah, you know, as you're saying that I'm thinking about so my so-called life is a show that I did watch as it aired, and there's a very uh very famous can you even call it a famous episode when there's like 13 episodes total? Oh, uh, there's 19 episodes? Uh, sorry, sorry, 19 episodes. Um, but the Christmas episode, um we guest see- starring Juliana Hatfield. Yes, guest starring Juliana Hell, Hatfield yes. as a homeless young person mm-hmm. and and I I should go back and rewatch that. I mean, let's be real. We should go back and rewatch that whole series. Absolutely. And we should do a podcast about Oops. it. Oops. Okay, great. We'll be doing that. Um we see like I felt I feel like at the time I was like this is the most meaningful, powerful, impactful thing. And I was so like proud of the show for showing this. And and so mm-hmm. I imagine that had I watched this in 1998, you're right, I would have been in a different mindset and I would have felt very differently about it. And I still have appreciation for it. They don't gloss it over. They are, you know, the show is attempting to say like, hey, this is a problem that like young kids are homeless and have been kicked out of their homes and da, 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 da. But whatever. You're right. American beauty. On and on and on. <laughs> we don't need to. We don't need to go too much further. But Belly Love is playing. It's very depressing. Xander even calls it depressing when we cut to the bronze. Uh, he says something very problematic, which is he's really jealous because he thinks that Cordelia may have had an affair with Pedro the Cabana Boy. Xander. Xander. Jesus. And then he's. Oh so my god! Sh- that should be a segment. Xander. <laughs> And then we spray him with a water bottle. Oh, my God. Okay, great. great. Get off the table. <laughs> um, but he's, he's super, you know, he, he has some shitty moments in this. This is one of them. But then, like, he's feeling really jealous and he's feeling really dejected. And his fucking move is to be like, I know what we fucking need. I know what we've been missing. We need Cordelia to be fucking bait. Like, right. And also based on, you know, he sees Cordelia at the same time. We see Cordelia basically when he's like bait. Xander is dealing with his feelings of insecurity about their relationship by uh, saying shitty things yeah. and and wanting to put Cordelia in danger. 
Cordelia is dealing with it by showing up at the bronze looking amazing. Yeah. Xander, why didn't you do that instead? Do I sensei Cordelia jingle coming on? Cordelia, I love you, Cordelia. You're perfect, Cordelia. Oh, how we love you, Cordelia, always and forever. Uh, you know who else I love? Joyce. Yeah, Joyce. Oh, we go to the scene with Joyce and Giles, Giles and Joyce. Joyce is blaming Giles. Love it. Joyce is taken. I feel like you've taken her away from me, she says. I mean, imagine if you were a parent. Yeah. And like this other adult had this totally like yes. close and unknown to you until very recently relationship with your kid. Yeah. No, wow. I, I'm I'm totally team Joyce on this one. I mean, not that I think that Giles did anything wrong, but like I really understand where she's coming from emotionally. Right, right. Um, and then Giles bats back. I didn't make Buffy who she is. Still some undertones, I want to say, of uh, this like coming out arc, right? Mm-hmm, you know, the parent thinks that, that who the kid's been hanging out with is the reason that the kid is who the kid is. Right. Not true. The kid is who the kid is because the kid is who the kid is. So <laughs> well said. I give advice My for beautiful, a articulate wife. <laughs> um, so this is the exchange here. And then we cut back to the diner. And in the diner, Lily comes up to Buffy now. And this is like, this is a pivotal moment for the character of Lily because she says, you know, Buffy, she, she's lost Ricky. She can't find Ricky. And she goes right to Buffy and she says, you know how to do stuff. I don't know what to do. And she's asking Buffy for help. Now, we had, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we had the chance to sit down with Julia Lee Stander, who was Julia Lee back when this was filmed, and uh, we were able to talk to her about this character, about her work on the show, about her audition, about so many fun things, Uh, and we're going to share with you that interview as a part of this episode. But before we get there, a word, Jenny, from Today's episode is brought to you by Regal Cinemas. If you're anything like me, you deeply enjoy going to the movies. Going to the movies is probably among my top three all-time activities. I love seeing films on the big screen. I also love being around other people who are watching the same movie with me at the same time. And of course, I love eating giant buckets of popcorn. If you feel the same and you like going to the theater, Regal Unlimited is something that just makes sense. Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two movie visits. You can see any standard 2D movie anytime, no blackout dates, no restrictions. When you want to watch a movie in 4DX or IMAX or RPX or ScreenX, there's so many ways to watch movies these days, your Regal Unlimited membership gets you into those premium experiences at a reduced cost. And with Regal Unlimited, you don't only save money on the tickets, you will also save on your snacks. And as previously mentioned, I love snacks. The only thing that can make me love a snack more is saving money on buying a snack. Members get 10% off of all non-alcoholic concession items with membership. Regal Unlimited, all you can watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two visits. So if you're planning to see two movies this month, join Regal Unlimited and sign up now. You can sign up in the Regal app or on regmovies.com slash unlimited. Sign up for Regal Unlimited using code buffering and earn 10% off your three-month subscription. Please let us know about all of the movies you see and how the popcorn is. 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Some of our sponsors. So, wow. Today, we are so, so delighted to have the opportunity to speak with Julia Lee Sander, who you may know from this very episode we are discussing <laughs> in the role of Lily and then later Anne. Wow. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, and in this episode, but first as Chanterelle. That's right. Hello. And then as Lily, <laughs> and eventually as Anne. That's yes. right. The only, it have to be the only character that it has had that many names in the series. Right? And I don't even think we know her real name, her given name. Right, although I think the internet, there's a deep dig. I think maybe it's been established post-show in the maybe in later the comic arc. Oh, okay. That, um, just so you yeah, know. just so you know. Your given name so is, I'm in the loop, too. Your given name is Joan. <laughs> okay. Uh, but that's never revealed in, this, in Buffy. In the series, yeah. Um, when we did our digging, we were like, oh, interesting. Joan. And, right. yeah. That was news <laughs> to us. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. We thought it would be fun to start at the beginning. Sort of like, where are you, where are you from and how did you come to acting in the first place? Um, well, grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, mm-hmm. and fell in love with theater in high school. Same. And <laughs> I mean, it's a wonderful thing to do at that stage of your life, and it's uh, quickly addictive, and came out to pursue a theater degree in California at UC Irvine, nice. and um, took off from there, came up to Los Angeles in 1997 nice. and oh, so this was like this was wow, weeks was after i graduated from college wow. Whoa. yeah <laughs> that's wild that same summer oh my gosh so how did you come to the audition so i actually auditioned for a different episode of buffy i think it had to do with a sorority in oh or a fraternity fraternity maybe ah, uh, yes. uh, young there men. Was, and there was a it was a smaller part and i auditioned for that and i did not get it and then i got a call to come in for this a few weeks later and then and she was supposed to originally be a nerdy goth girl and i got a page on my pager <laughs> because it was 1997 uh-huh. uh, on the way to the audition saying well, they've rewritten the part, and there's new material, and they've sort of changed the character, and she's going to be more sexy than nerdy. And I looked at what I was wearing and went, well, they get what they get, because I'm already in the car. <laughs> so I guess I'll try to drive faster. And I got there to, you know, look at the material, and uh, usually there's many, many people in that waiting room. Mm-hmm. Of course, that day, nope, nobody. Oh, wow. No. Really? I walked in, and they went, so whenever you're ready. Whoa. Went, well, all right, can I have a minute to, you know, look at the new material first? Yeah. And they said, oh, sure, yeah, go ahead, take your time. And then I looked it over, certainly did not have time to be off book, but I just went, all right, well, 
here we go. <laughs> we'll walk in. And um, in a lovely turn of events, there was uh, a guy sitting in the corner with overalls and Doc Martens and a baseball cap. And I thought he was the assistant. And uh, <laughs> they put me on tape and I did my audition and then I left. And 45 minutes later, I got a call and they went, all right, so you're booked. And I went, what? What? I had no call back. Whoa. And they, how, how did that even happen? Of course, I show up on set, and the guy in the corner is not the assistant. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's Joss. Uh-huh. <laughs> better that you didn't know. Probably. I think totally. way better that right? I didn't know because he kept such a low profile and just, you know, g- kind of giggled to himself at a couple of the lines. <laughs> right. And then, you know, and so uh, there it was. Wow. That, what a, like, entry experience into, like, post-college <laughs> I know. (laughs) So, and so, okay, so you come into the audition, you get the role right away, and it's supposed to be, it sounds like, a one episode role of Chantrell. Yes. Yeah. Did you have any idea at the time that there would be any, any extension or how did that happen? No, I don't, I don't know if they even thought about that or Mm -hmm. knew about it. Um, I didn't get a call until probably nine or 10 months later, and it was out of the blue for me. And they said, hey, so we want to expand this character uh, would you be interested in coming back? <gasps> Do you let me think about yeah, that? Yeah, right. <laughs> I have questions. I mean, you know, there's so many things that we could talk about. I have questions just about the being on set and being with the other actors and what that experience was like. Did you did you watch the show? That That's a, a good starting place. Did you watch Buffy or have you watched the series? Yes. And when I did the first episode uh, as Chanterelle, and I and I had never seen it before then, but when I went in for the audition, I I, I think I watched an episode before then, mm-hmm. and then when I found out I got the role, then I just started watching, and then I watched it from there on, right? You know, and so I was familiar with what the characters then had been through wow. all the way to where I was yeah. <laughs> coming back in. <laughs> Sort of like you had been following them on social media, but <laughs> yeah, it was a little intimidating, you know, because then they they were larger than life to me. Mm. Whereas when I first came in, I went, oh, okay, I don't really know what I'm getting into. I know right. a little bit. I tried to do some research and some homework, but you know, now it's <laughs> there's a whole world. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Do you have specific memories of times on set, whether it's from that first episode of Chanterelle or this episode and specifically that come to mind? Um, yeah. I mean, well, the first episode, the hair and makeup and wardrobe people did such a good job. And then all of the extras, I think, were goth kids that they had <laughs> in that club. Right. And, um, you know, they wanted they I've just assumed that I that's how I was found too um and didn't you know didn't really think about oh well this is not how I showed up because they did show up on set like that yeah. you know they had done their own amazing hair and makeup oh, and they had wow. these awesome outfits and they did invite me to I think it was a goth volleyball game what, <laughs> what? <laughs> I had, was <laughs> California thing I think I've ever heard <laughs> I remember being very surprised at that, um, but, but I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> it just seems like the makeup would run. Yeah. I know, yeah, right. Sports and like goth general, right. and also direct sunlight and goth. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, you're picturing beach volleyball. Maybe it was, oh, was right. it beach volleyball or was I don't, I don't you remember didn't indoor <laughs> like lights off volleyball, remember. infrared volleyball, right, right, night vision black, goggle black light volleyball. volleyball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, and one of the questions I had, too, was about your preparation for the roles. You know, I mean, obviously, when you were preparing for Chantrell, you didn't yet know that there would be a Lily. But what did that look like on either end? You know, because there are, I mean, they're the same person and, and at different phases of life, but very different environment. Yeah, I think, you know, for Chantrell, she feels more a part of mainstream society. She's got friends or at least people she thinks are her friends mm -hmm. and she seems to be more social and at least have access to some kind of hair and makeup and clothing it's not clear where she gets this all from right. but you know she has fallen on really hard times and about as she's about as lost as you can be when we see her the next time as lily mm -hmm. and you know i don't you can only imagine that her home life was bad enough that she will not uh, acknowledge it, even when Buffy asks her mm. directly, mm -hmm. you know, and that she is happier living in abandoned warehouses and, you know, having greasy, greasy hair <laughs> than <laughs> going back to anything she knew. Was there conversation on the set? Because this episode, Anne, is really rooted in like homeless youth. And I mm -hmm. wonder what the conversation was. I mean, I have no idea what it's like on a television set. But if there was a conversation around the reality of this and integrating that into the preparation for the episode or the role. I mean, we did shoot in downtown Los Angeles, mm -hmm. you know, near Skid Row. And mm -hmm. it was, you know, painfully ironic that we had extras playing homeless children and in one of the scenes um with uh, ken the social worker i remember we shot that outside against the front of a building and i could look across the street and there were just lines of tents mm -hmm. you know so yeah, yeah I mean, there was definitely a cognizance of what was happening and i think you know the locations were chosen on purpose. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for us too, we're coming out of the arc. I mean, I guess you said you listened to the last episode. We talked a lot about Buffy, mm -hmm. how she's just sort of like come out to her parent and then has run away from home and sort of been kicked out of her yeah. home. You know, it skirts the line because mm -hmm. Joyce does want her back. But, you know, that that's an, at play too here, yeah. um, which is, you know, testament to the show of giving those things visibility and bringing light to those things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Let's talk about the the real like wallop of an arc that takes place for your character just in this one episode. You come back into Buffy's orbit and you are at a very low point, lost. You've got one person that you're clinging to and then that person disappears. And then by the end of the episode, uh, you are essentially responsible for defeating uh, Ken, the evil demonic social worker. Yes. Um, who like Great I dislike, job. but kind of like. Yeah. <laughs> Wade, <laughs> Wade's a really nice guy yeah, yeah. from what I remember in real life. So maybe he couldn't quite hide all of that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He came across as a likable demon who you probably want to die, but like, you know. <laughs> Sorry, Jenny. Oh, I no, didn't no, mean no. to interrupt your train of thought. Um, and I feel like Lily takes strength from, from Buffy, you know, and, and Buffy also learns from Lily. And like, ultimately, I think Lily helps Buffy realize that she can go home. So I watched this episode yesterday with my daughter who'd never seen it before oh wow Whoa, that's so cool and the first thing she said was mommy your voice sounds so different <laughs> and i said well look at who this character is i mean she's as lost as you can get mm -hmm. and that comes through it comes through in her body language and it comes through in her voice and she's just very insecure and also 
looking looking for guidance for sure like she tends to follow strong personalities right right there she was in the vampire cult there she was following ricky there she was saying oh i used to follow this who was it? It was a, oh, a preacher. Some, some, oh, yeah. And I called yeah. myself Sister Sunshine. Sister Sunshine. Yeah, Sister Sunshine. But she finally she finally takes that and gets it right when she focuses her energy on Buffy. Yes. And she says to herself, you know, oh, you know, this is someone I, – I don't think she's ever had a role model like that in her life or probably she would have been following them. Right. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. so here right. she is seeing for the first time – Someone that's a woman that's taking charge. And no, Lily doesn't have, you know, superhuman powers or anything. But I think it plants a seed for her. Yeah. And that's sort of buff. That's like sort of the series in, an, in a nutshell. Yeah. Is that strength. Is like giving that strength. Letting people know that they also have that strength. Whether or not they're like a slayer or not. If they have magical yeah. powers or not. That like we all sort of walk with that strength. Yeah. In us. Yeah. Um, you mentioned watching the episode with your daughter, and I just wonder, you said a little bit, but I would love to hear what that experience is like for you and for her, and if she had questions and or does she want to watch Buffy the series? I think she for sure wants to watch the series. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> she's big into fantasy, too. Mm-hmm. She loves Percy Jackson and Harry Potter, and she's Amazing. just, she kind of refuses to read anything that isn't fantasy right now. <laughs> so awesome. I think she's, you know, primed. She's the key demographic here right, <laughs> as right. she gets older. Yeah. Um, she, I did have to point out a couple of times, you know, that, you know, okay, you see the guy that's the demon. He's he's a really nice guy. <laughs> he had to spend a solid couple of hours in hair and makeup to look like that. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know? And anyway, I get the better of him. Just watch. <laughs> yeah, anyway, mom wins. That's right. That's right. Mom, it is pretty cool to show your your child uh, a character where you, de- you are the one to defeat the demon. Yes. Especially on the heels of Wonder Woman, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before we started taping, Julia was telling us that she saw Wonder Woman with her daughter. Did you feel when you took your daughter to see Wonder Woman like you were bringing her into something? You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. And I I enjoyed that experience so much. And I, you know, multiple times would look over at her to see what her reaction was and, you know, what she was getting. And I know for a nine-year-old, she's getting different things than what I'm getting. Mm-hmm. But I teared up multiple times watching that movie mm-hmm. just yes. because I was so happy to see a strong, solid female character. And, of course, I know that there's a female director and mm-hmm. just the beauty with which that all came together. I It was a wonderful experience to take her to that. And I hope to do it again and again and again. <laughs> right. Yes. This, is this like, will probably be the first in many of woman-centering, woman-directed superhero films, right? right? I mean, it it could only make sense. It may not have been, but I think that like what is on our side is that not only was it brilliant, but it also was like a box office smash. And that's going to help, I right. think, get right. more for, well, for all of us. Money is the bottom line in Hollywood. Right. So. <laughs> It's the universal language. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) Well, before we wrap up, it would be cool to talk a little bit about how your character then continues. Because we've all just seen you go from, we've met you as Chantrell, Mm -hmm. a very interesting set of circumstances. (laughs) (laughs) Then we've seen you grow and, you know, change and uh, reappear as Lily, and we leave you as Anne. Mm -hmm. 
And then we go over to Angel, mm-hmm. and there you are again. And so mm-hmm. how did that – was that another, like, a couple of years past? Or... Yes, and as a matter of fact, they asked me to come in and read some of the scenes because they said, all right, she's on undergone a pretty big arc by this point, and we only know you as the character – who's very lost and doesn't know what she's looking for right. and she can't take care of herself. And then here she is and she's done 180 degree turn with her life. And we want to make sure that you can project authority and confidence and that you're someone that these teenage kids would listen to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I went in and I read some of the scenes and they went, okay, yeah, we're good. So, you know, that was, and I just, but that seed was planted. That seed was planted by Buffy, you know, and at the last scene, you know, Anne says, or Lily, uh, I'm not very good at taking care of myself, you know, first things first. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Buffy says, well, it gets easier. And, you know, can I be Anne? And then she took she took, you know, that role model. Buffy is that role model. And I think, and also I think when she's, you know, in that alternate universe hell, she sees that she's not alone. Like there are all these other kids. And mm-hmm. Buffy gives her the responsibility of, you know, you take these kids and you go down this way. Yeah. And Lily looks at her like, I don't know if I can do that, you know? And Buffy's like, just go. And she does it. And then, you know, she has some success with that you know enough enough that it gives her the confidence to push Ken off yeah, <laughs> <on the edge. laughs> right. and I think from that she realizes you know that whole experience yes I'm capable of more than I thought I was and also I'm not alone like there are other kids out there that are experiencing the same thing as me right which mm-hmm. is huge which is you know sometimes I think for, for many of us that's bigger than than finding the strength itself. It's like seeing that other people struggle too. Yeah. And and I, what I was going to say too, I think that Anne Lily uh, is a character that means so much to so many people who watch the series because we have like Buffy, obviously we have Buffy, this very strong character and there are tons of strong female characters, but I think Lily occupies a space where we meet a character who really is struggling when we first meet her to um, take ownership of herself. And so that arc is very specific in the series. I think for people who are feeling like, well, I'm not even starting, you know, when, when Buffy starts, you know, she's sort of like a snotty Los Angeles, like doesn't care, you know, so she has like some, form of confidence um in herself already um and even willow you know these characters are are they have sort of like a semblance a little bit more of a semblance of self and i think watching the series for a lot of people especially uh especially girls and women seeing in your character lily that like i don't know if i can do this to then you pushing him off the thing is just a very important arc for so many of us to see yeah yeah, and I love that she came back and helped and, you know, took made a role for herself in the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and used, like, Drew on all of that experience being lost mm-hmm. to help other people who are lost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the best path. 
is to yeah. you, right using the experiences you've had to help others mm-hmm. do you have do you have um people reach out to you like is Buffy a part of your life now where people recognize you or sort of reach out to you to talk about Buffy or beyond like you know is it still current current occasionally I think twice in the past year I've been out at various places and some somewhat like a I think I was at Michael's Arts and Crafts no yes the best place in, in America <laughs> and uh the the man at the checkout counter looked up and asked me <laughs> if I had been on Puffy and Angel. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> are you a fan of, I mean, you mentioned your daughter is a fan of fantasy. Are you a fan as well? Like, is that a genre that you are interested in still? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We're reading The Hobbit together right now. Oh, that's so nice. That's rad. That's so rad. And you're, you're producing now, right? That's yes. a, So you transitioned from doing more primarily acting to do more primarily producing. Yes. What led you on that path? Uh, my husband. Um, he was doing post-production and post-production, and then we sort of, you know, we're thinking that intellectual property is where it's at. Um, So we started, you know, pitching um, original ideas and concepts around, and uh, one of them landed at HGTV, and they went with it. And now uh, I have two projects that are in development with them right now oh that's oh, amazing that's, so yeah. that's exciting hoping for some good news in about two or three weeks <laughs> yeah <So>. great <laughs> oh, does, does that mean that you have ideas about our our home how we can improve it <laughs> no i find the talent <laughs> i don't i don't profess right, to right. be the talent in that way <laughs> that's good that's good because i don't want, <laughs> i don't want any uh knowing eyes in here right. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so 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 much for taking the time to talk to us today about this. It is a delight to meet you and to have had this conversation. Truly, truly. We're so, I mean, this is our start to season three. Um, and what a what an incredible thing to have you as a part of the episode. So special. My absolute pleasure. Awesome. It's been really fun. Well, let us know when your daughter starts watching the series. <laughs> and if, you know, down the line she has any thoughts and she wants to chime in season four or five, whatever, you know, we'll just, we'll have her on the show. <laughs> she has a lot of thoughts and a lot of opinions. Great. So <laughs> you can count on that. <laughs> the, our door is always open. <laughs> what is your daughter's name? Sienna. Sienna. Our, do- our door is always open to Sienna. All right. <laughs> With her Buffy thoughts. Yes. <laughs> what a lovely person. Oh my gosh. Like so lovely. Like, cause, because let me tell you what, when I think about the character of Lily, I think I think a lovely person, character of Anne, whatever. Lovely person, <laughs> lovely sweet person. This is Julia is just the nicest. Oh, we had the w- most wonderful time with her. Um, thank you so much again for being a part of the show and helping us kick off the start of season three. It's just yeah. so wonderful in all the ways. So let's talk about the blood bank, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because th- this lady, this lady in the blood oh, bank, she's she, got no poker face. She has no poker face. They're like, where's Ricky? And then she's <laughs> like, Ricky's not here. And then they like leave and the camera pans to the lady at the blood bank. And she <laughs> legit looks into the camera. She, she's like, dun, dun, dun. It's really good. It's so fucking funny. We haven't um, seen anything like that since A Werewolf in Love. Yes, exactly. Huh? Exactly. Um, and then, of course, you know, Buffy and Lily... Uh, go split ways to search for Ricky, and um, Buffy comes upon Ricky. What chance, by the way? Right, right, right. <laughs> it's right. a great chance that she stumbles upon him. Um, well, she actually stumbles upon an old man. In fact, the same old man who pushed through them, who she pushed out of the way of traffic earlier. Wait, what? 
It's R- Ricky is an old man. She comes across an old man who has drank Drano. The the man that she pushed out of the car out of the way is of the, the car was guy. Ricky. Yeah, I didn't even know it. Oh my god! And he's totally he was totally trying to kill himself. <laughs> We've watched the episode oh seven hundred and twelve times. I'm sw- I swear to you, I didn't notice. So listen, there's at least one person listening to this who also didn't notice, and I am here for you to make you feel seen. <laughs> So, right, Ricky tried to kill himself the first time by stepping in front of a car. He didn't uh, succeed, so he drank some Drano. Right, and Buffy, of course, knows it's him because of the tattoo, which she had seen earlier that day yes. at the diner. Um, I'm or confused about why they're even redisposed into the streets. Like, why don't they just let them die in the dungeon? Maybe they're, they have limited real estate. Maybe human bodies don't decompose the Down same there. way in that atmosphere that they do in uh, Earth's atmosphere. Oh. Human Earth's atmosphere. Yeah. So anyway. Lots to talk about. Buffy, goes, about. B- Buffy goes and tells Lily that- Who's already inside of Buffy's apartment. Yes. Interesting. Because pro- honestly, this is what I think happened. They, Buffy was like, we'll split up. And Lily was like, right, so I'll go with you because that's what really right, happened. Right, And then Buffy was like, no, 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 we're going to split up. And Lily was like, I can't do that. And Buffy was like, you stay here, you know. Right, 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 sit right. down and I will and I'll deal with this. So Buffy comes back to tell Lily that Ricky is dead and she does it kind of shittily. Oh. Oh my god. Because she's got her own shit going on. Right. Well, she does it shittily because she's got her own stuff going on, but she also does it in like a TV way where she's like, <laughs> Ricky's dead. And Chanterelle's like, no. And Ricky's Chanterelle. Oh my God. She's Lily, Lily now. Sorry. Lily is like, no. And Buffy's like, there's something else. He's like 80. And Lily very reasonably is like, that's not Ricky, dumbass. And Buffy's like, you're just going to have to trust me and also deal with it. Your boyfriend's dead. Right? Literally. Which is what Buffy is saying to herself on the inside. Right, of course. These things happen all the time, she says to Lily. Buffy, I don't know if it's really an all the time thing for most people. Um, And Lily, Lily, who is like, what the fuck is happening right now? Reasonably. Yeah, reasonably, turns the tables on Buffy and is like, you know what? Maybe you fucking did this. Every time I'm fucking with you, there's bad shit happening. So maybe you brought the monster. Uh You know, not a bad theory. Not Mm -hmm. correct. But I, I, you know, I understand the reasoning. Totally. So Lily leaves because they've gone in a fight, runs into Ken. Everybody's always running into fucking Ken, man. Ricky's. Now, I love Ken for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons I love Ken so much is that he does not lie, right? Ricky's with us now, he says. Not a lie. That's a truth. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Ricky is no more dead than I am. Uh Ken, not a lie. Also, totally the truth. (laughs) (laughs) So Lily, of course, I mean... You know, Lily, as we as we talked about in the interview with Julia, you know, is really lost and is is very much following whatever comes her way at this point. So mm-hmm, she mm-hmm. goes with Ken, uh, and meanwhile, Buffy is like, "Fuck this noise! I'm heading to the fucking blood bank." And this is great, so good. This is like when she gets her spark back because right. you can tell when we get to the fight scene later on, like. Buffy is like, I am so fucking ready to fight. Like, she's pretending she wants to disappear and not be the slayer. But let me tell you what. You can't escape. You know who it reminds me of, actually? Our cat, who has been (laughs) so sick for the last, like, eight days. She's just been, like, sleeping, like, 90% of the day. And then she'll, like, get up and, like, half-heartedly chase a toy mouse around for, like, five seconds. And then be like, I love sleep. Bye. Today (laughs) is the first day she's been back in full form. And she's been using... 
all of the energy reserves yes. that were not utilized for the last eight days. Uh-huh. She's been doing cartwheels, yes, bouncing off the everything. walls, trying to eat everything. And literally pens, phones, paper, dust, everything. <laughs> she's, she's a mess. <laughs> she's, so yeah, this is totally great comparison. Right, exactly. This is Buffy. Buffy is fucking pissed. She fucking breaks in. The woman, fucking nutty woman, comes in and she's like, what are you doing? And Buffy's like breaking into your office and going through your personal files. And she's like, you shouldn't do that. And Buffy rips the phone out of the fucking wall. It's great. It's great. And then we find out from crazy blood bank lady that she gives him, she gives Ken, quote, the names of the healthy ones. The fuck? It's pretty creepy. It's pretty fucking weird, right? Like, because we don't really get the story. No. What are they building down there? We don't know. What are they doing down there? Unknown. We never know. Unknown to this day. Unknown to this day. I bet you if you asked that guy from Game of Thrones, he would fucking have the answer. But we didn't get wow. it in this episode. Maybe that'll be in the in the <laughs> in the finale. We'll find out about the dragons. Okay. We'll find out about so many things. We're gonna find out what the hell Ken was doing down there. And if Ken made it, because I mean Ken probably is still alive. You know? Uh, oh, right. No, yeah. No, he's not alive. You're right. I forgot about Gandhi. I was like, he only got his legs staked. Okay. Anyway. We go back to the graveyard. Oh, yeah. Cordy and Xander are fighting. They are. They're fighting. And what happens when they're fighting? <sighs> Passion? Oh, you mean, I thought you meant like generally what happens when they fight. Passion. What happens when they're fighting is that a uh, Passion. When, um, when they fight, uh, Willow is listening to them and is bored and annoyed. And a vampire, of course, the mm-hmm. vampire, mm-hmm. Andy or Eddie, <laughs> sneaks up on her and attacks her. Yes. Uh, and Oz jumps in and is yeah, tossed to right, the side. And then they, they defeat this vampire. Um, they defeat this vampire by Cordelia pushing the vampire into the stake, which is a beautiful moment. And they fall, they fall like a sandwich cookie. Yes. And then the vampire dustifies and then Cordelia falls on. Xander, and then we hear what I guess we is the it's their theme. The, it's song. their theme. It is that is their romantic theme. It is. Just a really dramatic orchestral swell, and they kiss, <laughs> and just they like kiss. in What's My Line Part Two. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's what great. a delight. Uh, meanwhile, Buffy. Just showing us that she has not learned undercover skills between seasons at all is at the door to Ken's house. <laughs> hey, what's with all the sin? I'm bad with the sex, she says. <laughs> right. And then she sort of like becomes self-aware of her own inability to be undercover uh, and kicks everybody's ass to get in the door. We see the goo. We right, see the right, goo. Right, right, right. Yep. Lily's goo preparing for... The ghoul, uh, if you will. I won't. Okay. Preparing for baptism. <laughs> And Buffy um, busts in all like, how do you make him old, Ken? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Um, and one more thing I want to say before we go down to the bellows of hell um, is uh, in the scene with Xander and Cordelia, I just want to shout out the the call out to Inca Mummy Girl. Oh, yeah. It's a great moment. It's not every episode when we get to hear other episodes shouted out. Uh, and Cordelia makes a comment to Xander about his love affair with Ooh, Inca mommy girl. Nice. Very nicely done. So thank you for that. Now we go downstairs in the dungeon. Yes. I have questions here. Okay. First of all. What are they doing? What are they doing? But uh, second of all, if they're disposing of the old people upstairs, why is there just a casual skeleton behind (laughs) Lily? 
that nobody cares about at all. There's just a full <laughs> skeleton. And isn't it like on a cot? Yes, it's just laying like it just fell asleep there. It died there and it decomposed there and there's a skeleton there now. Hmm. Again, with the like the siren showing downtown, they were like, literally, where'd you get that werewolf costume? Could you pick up a skeleton suit? <laughs> you know, just put that on the bed. Yeah. Um, make it's it Halloween town on Postmates. Halloween-y, yeah. Um, <laughs> but a logistical question as well. Time moves quickly down here, right? Yes. Time moves, they said, 100 years equals one day. Do you know what that is, Jenny? <gasps> hell, hell math. It's, it, is, it's, it is, yes, it is hell math. Hell math. 100 years equals one day, hell math. <laughs> and what I want to know is if 100 years equals one day, then wouldn't a half an hour or whatever the fuck long they're down there equal like a couple of years? I haven't done. No, no, no. It's it's a hundred years down there equals, is, equals one, one Earth day, day upstairs. Right. So doesn't that? So it's like a blink. So an but, Earth blink. But it, but if a day is passing upstairs while one hundred years is passing downstairs, yes. Then 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 a half an hour has passed upstairs. Which should mean that a couple No, why has half an hour passed upstairs? Half an hour has passed downstairs. Oh. You got to take into, the up, <laughs> into account the upstairs and the downstairs differentials when you're doing hell math. Wow, this has been great. Okay, thank you for helping me. Because I was like, Buffy is 19. She's not 17. She's not 18. She's at least 19. She might even be 20. Wow. Um, okay, great. Great, great, great. Um, skeleton heads? Why do I have that written down? I don't know. Skeleton heads. Oh, uh, because the guards are oh. sort of like skeleton head-esque. I like, love Sort of like them. flesh mask. Great. Great. Yes. Character design. Like buttoned up faces. Yeah, love it. So <clears throat> fucking cool. Then I have my notes about the many-faced gods. Good, uh, good. <laughs> uh, and Buffy, of course. This is, this is really, you know, the moment in this episode where she's like, all right, you know what? Fuck this shit. Yes. I'm Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and you are, she yeah. says. Uh, she tells Lily she can handle this. Uh, Lily has this great moment, which we didn't talk about with Julia, and I just want to say for one second, where she's like, I'm sorry about that thing I did before. And <laughs> Buffy's like, not now, Lily. And Lily's like, but just in case we die. Very practical. Yes. And responsible. I love it. And then we get this great fight scene. Yay. One slayer, a bajillion skeletors. Who will emerge the victor? The slayer, the slayer will. The slayer. There's... <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, my God. Once she gets... I'm sorry. Once she gets hold of that of that rounded axe thing, and she, I believe she slices someone, and then she, like, throws it up in the air or something. Yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe that's how no, she, she gets it. No, she catches it. it. Yeah. She puts her hand up so long for, a, for six hours. <laughs> she doesn't have that kind of time. She's in the middle of a fight. <laughs> but it's like a great comedic moment if you imagine what's happening that everyone's just watching. You know? Yeah, as, all as of the skeletons are like, it would be rude to interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> and right, so she's fighting, she's fighting. Ken is flipping out. You're not supposed to fight. People aren't right, supposed right, right, to fight. Right, right. That's not how this works. Now, he says, and this is, I haven't told you, Jenny, but this is my sexual tension award moment. He says to Buffy, You've got guts. I think I'd like to slice <laughs> you open and play with them. 
I would Gross. like to award the sexual attention award to Ken and Buffy. That's it's too disgusting for me to argue. I'm sorry. It's just there's because he be, not because of him wanting to slice her guts uh, open or whatever, but because of the way he looks at her before he says it. He's like, I'm kind of into this girl. What? You know <laughs> he is. You just you go back. You watch. He's just I like, like mm. once he once he pulls off his um. His face and also his sort of like youth pastor right. uh, attitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he has this sort of like, he just like gets really fierce. Yeah. Yes, you know? Yes, he does. He does. And I, I feel like, yeah, it really feeds into right? what he, you're talking about. He's just like, I like this girl. She, she can <laughs> fight. I'm going to kill her. But man, do I like her. So <laughs> in an episode where I felt there wasn't much sexual tension, uh, I'm, um, I'm, yeah, placing yeah, yeah. It, I'm placing it here. So... He brings the, the fight to a screeching halt by holding a knife to Lily's throat. And yes. then he's like, this is the, the price of rebellion. One of you fights back, you all die. Which, frankly, I feel like would deplete his workforce in a way that would actually like be very bad for him. Right. Did you? So right. I think probably the case when anyone bluffing. says that. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> One of you fights and you all die. Yeah, probably sure. they don't actually want that. But uh, Then he foolishly lets her go to continue his monologue. Well, and because he has this belief, right? He really believes that, like, these young people are so lost that they don't have the capacity right. to fight back, which is why Buffy is such an anomaly. Right, 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 right. And then what happens? And then, oh, Lily pushes him right off the fucking edge. Hell in, like, yes. In, like, this moment that's so, it's, like, almost anticlimactic, you know, in, in a brilliant way. And just, like, this, like, you know what? Fuck this guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Pushes him down. Anticlimactic from like what we're accustomed to seeing in in uh, show this show and shows like it, but like really climactic for Lily, who is yeah. stepping up and being really assertive and uh, just sort of like taking the bull by the horns and pushing the bull off yeah. of the ledge. Fuck Great. yeah, Lily. Uh, and then you know, of course, Buffy picks up the gate, lets everybody out, drops the gate on Ken's legs, channels <laughs> Gandhi. Right, and right. a moment of destroying Ken, which was a funny, weird little thing. Okay, uh, then they escape. Yeah. And the, the tar pit seals itself up, leaving hundreds of humans yes. downstairs. Jenny, do you think that's what's underneath the tar pits? It's in Los Angeles. It's here. Wow. The clues point in one direction. Wow. And that direction is perhaps... The La Brea Tar Pits? Yeah, the La Brea Tar Pits. Okay, we'll have to do a special field trip episode <laughs> where Kristen goes underneath the La Brea Tar Pits. Please don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so then then we have this ending scene, which we talked about with Julia as well. But, you know, this is a moment where Buffy is like literally, but also figuratively handing over her strength to right. Lily. Right, 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 um, right. And, and by the way, we didn't mention uh, Buffy's middle name is Anne. Uh -huh. That's a thing. So, oh yeah. Um, so Lily becomes Anne. Anne restores uh, to Buffy, or Buffy, you, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody <laughs> gets a new name. Um, and, well said. And Buffy goes home. And and before she gets there, Joyce is just doing some dishwasher maintenance. So oh, it was a really great moment for everybody in this room. Joyce Summers. Just doing a little handy work Fixing around the house. The dishwasher. Probably probably is about to hang out with Pat. Just kidding. We're not there yet. Ugh. Okay, she's fixing the dishwasher. Uh, and then the doorbell rings or there's a knock at the door? I believe there's a knock. There's a knock at the door and it's Buffy. And that's oh, how. And their faces. Yes. And that's and how we end hug. this episode. She's home 
And obviously there's a lot to unpack now that she's home, but the biggest thing is that she's home. Hell yes. Wow. Okay. So this was a fantastic episode. Yes, it was. And we are almost ready to wrap up this year episode of this podcast. But before we do, we promised many of you that we would talk about the situation that was uncovered um, between Joss and Joss's ex-wife. Now, I want to say that this is something we normally wouldn't talk about if it was, you know, uh, came to light that Joss had had affairs during his marriage or what have you. It's really not the kind of thing we traffic in. Right. It's like a hard line to discern what is and is not our business. But in this case, yes, a party to this information decided to make it the world's business. So what do we do with it? Exactly. And it and and I think that the reason that we're deciding to talk about it is because because of that, because somebody who is involved in it made it our business and so now it is in our orbit and we have to digest it. And two, it's not just about an affair. If it was just about an affair, we still wouldn't be talking about it. But it there are elements to this. Uh, Kai, Joss's ex-wife, shared some letters that were written towards the end of the marriage or as the marriage was ending or after the marriage had ended. And there were things in those letters that were very troublesome. Um, first of all, one troublesome layer of this is the power dynamics that exist between a director, especially a very powerful director, and um, that director's actors, that director's fans, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So that's something. And then there's another layer of this, which is that in those letters, there was an element of you know, evolutionary reasoning of like, oh, well, I am a man, and so it is in my instincts to sort of follow these behaviors. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that Jenny and I both, having ha having our own relationship and certainly understanding that there are a lot of intimate things that happen in relationships that we cannot possibly understand from just excerpts from letters, we know that there's a lot here. Yeah. But this exists, and this is big because Joss Whedon is positioned as a very powerful feminist mm -hmm. director, feminist writer, feminist creator, and we are doing a very feminist show uh, about one of his creations. Right, right. So right. what do we do with this? I think that first... It's important to say that neither Jenny or myself have ever really held up Joss singularly uh, as the only reason that Buffy the Vampire Slayer exists, and also as a perfect feminist. Um, mm -mm. This is certainly not the first time that something has come to light that sort of has said, hmm. Interesting. <laughs> this might not be exactly what it says it is. You know, there may be other things at work here. And so I think that um, for us, learning this information was very disappointing, of course, very upsetting, um, very concerning on so many levels. But it also was not like, oh, no, now the entire canon of work that Joss is connected to is dead to us or um, isn't valuable to us. Right. It's like this uh, creator versus creation thing does somebody's uh, disappointments as a human being take away the power that millions of people have have gained from watching this incredible show, which is the product of the hard work and sweat of... Oh, thousands. So many people. Right. So the many people work to make this show what it is. Yeah, we see you, Marty Noxon. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so many others. I mean, Marty Noxon comes to mind because we love Marty Noxon. But um, so many people, the actors, the crew, the writers, there, there are so many people who put 
energies into this this particular show, but all of the creations mm-hmm. um, that Joss has a hand in, then have shaped it well past what he himself would have done. And so I think that, and this is, you know, this has come up so many times in, in our life, right? The Cosby show is something that I think immediately came to my mind. Now, this is very different, obviously. It's a very, very, very different set of circumstances. But, you know, I, I hold up the Cosby show as um, a part of the 1980s canon of television that did things that were not being done and that brought people into my living room that I would have never learned about. Dizzy Gillespie, Lena Horne, you know, that mm-hmm. show worked mm-hmm. actively to bring black artists uh, and creators uh, into the, the living rooms of millions yes, of people. Yes, into the, into the living rooms of millions of people. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's important. And so, you know, I look at this um, y- through a similar lens where Jenny and I exist in this world. We share space with all of you. We've st- we've stood in Union Hall in New York. We've stood in at Nerd Melt in Los Angeles. Um, we've we've you know stood in an auditorium in Wisconsin during a camp with so many of you, knowing that this means something to us and this means something to you. And we are certainly not near to the first people to um, sit within a community of people united by mm-hmm. Buffy the Vampire Slayer or by other creations. Um, that Joss has had a hand in. And those communities can't just disappear. The power that we have together doesn't just disappear because someone has really crossed boundaries and really done some pretty awful things. That doesn't go away. I think that's the most important thing to both of us to say is that we're not going anywhere. We love, but I love Buffy just as much as I did before any of this came to light. Same. But We also, you know, we talk about the patriarchy a lot. We talk about feminism a lot. We talk about uh, queer issues a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it is important that we also just touch. Somebody sent us an email, and a few of you sent us similar notes to this one. But I'm just going to read a small section. Uh, Anna P. sent us an email that said, you know, I read an interview with Nicholas Brendan where he said that Xander was Joss. He was the character that Joss saw himself as and was his way of writing himself into the story. If we look at Xander knowing what we know now about Joss, it makes his problematic aspects much worse. His sense of whining entitlement for Buffy's affections, his casual asking for lap dances, his other patriarchal comments. Xander is where Joss let his ugly side out. Those are my thoughts. Thanks for what you do. Your sister in patriarchal smashing, Anna. So I bring this up because this is interesting because this is something that throughout seasons one and two, we have tried to unpack and not connected to Joss. And I, we're certainly don't, don't worry that we're going to like bring up Joss Whedon every time we talk about Xander now. We're not. (laughs) But I think that there is something here. There is something here. And this is something that I've been trying to get to the heart of. And I think you have too, Jenny, which is Mm. that we at no point have we ever attempted to say like, hey, Xander is a bad, evil person, right? Xander doesn't do anything right. Xander doesn't do anything good. But we've been trying to look at some of the things that Xander does and say – This is problematic, and we really feel like it's important to call out the fact that this is problematic, because if not called out, what happens? Mm -hmm. And I think that if not called out, things like we have seen unfold with Joss and his ex-wife Kai is exactly the kind of thing that happens, right? And yeah. And that's why we will continue on this show to take a hard look at some of these patriarchal moments, some of these moments that that net all of us. And we've said that about Xander, you know, mm-hmm. that it's not just like, you know, Xander is the um, proponent of evil 
Mm-hmm. He's also caught in this net. Right. Um, and so I think that it's really important that we look at that, that we look at Xander, that we look at the other patriarchal aspects of the show because they are here and they're created by Joss and others. We all sit inside of this, you know, patriarchal pot, if you will. I will. And, well, I'd rather not. Yeah, I mean, I would rather not. I have not no choice to. in the matter. Yes. And, and you know, teaspoon by teaspoon, Jenny and <laughs> I are trying to <laughs> empty the pot uh, of patriarchal water. Is that where my metaphor that is going? Would- was great. Uh, but so you keep listening. We'll keep unpacking. Yes. And we are open to, you know, hearing your thoughts as well. You know, you had a very active conversation on Facebook about this. And um, and it, and I think it is worth discussion. I, I do really think that it's worth discussion. And it is disappointing. And, you know, I again, I don't think that it affects our viewing of the show. Uh, but it might affect yours. And that's okay. So we are sticking with it. We are super, super excited about the rest of these seasons ahead we of us. We are. Um, and again, you know, send us an email if you have more thoughts, buffering the vampire slayer at gmail.com. And uh, we're about to go into uh, season three, episode two, which is a live episode. And we're very excited. Yeah. But until then, I'm Jenny Owen Youngs. And when I'm not watching Buffy, I am writing songs. You can learn more about me and hear some of those songs at jennyowenyoungs.com slash buffering. And you can give me a shout on Twitter at Jenny Owen Youngs. And I am Kristen Russo. You can find out all about me over on Twitter or on Instagram or on my website, all found at Kristen Nolene. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E, in case any of you have forgotten how to spell that over the long break. <laughs> Uh, you can also find out more about my work with LGBT young people and their families over at everyoneisgay.com and mykidisgay.com. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at BufferingCast, and you can always drop us an email at bufferingthevampireslayer at gmail.com. Yes, and you can support us in many, many ways. I will give you a few right now. Um, the first way, and I think probably one of the more important ways, is over on our Patreon page. Patreon is a place where you can support us and get fun things in exchange. Uh, if you give anything to us at all, you become part of the secret Facebook group, which is a very fun place to chat with other Buffy files. And uh, at the $5 level, you get the song every week, so you don't have to wait until the end of the season, which this year, I don't even know that we're done until like April or something. <laughs> so you um, you can get the songs week by week as they come out at the $5 level. And um, you can read all about the other perks over at Patreon. You can find that link over on our website, bufferingthevampireslayer.com. Just click on Patreon uh, and you'll find out all of the fun details. You can also buy our shirts or our pins or anything else that you'd like that has anything to do with the patriarchy and where it intersects <laughs> with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Just click on shop over on our website and find all of those goodies. I want to just send some reminders your way before we leave. Is that all right, Jen? Yes. Um, I want to send a reminder out to you that we are doing a September fundraiser. We have five lyric sheets handwritten by Jenny and myself that will be sent out to you if you would like to purchase them. And 100% of those proceeds are going to help the relief uh, in Houston, Texas uh, after Hurricane Harvey. Also a reminder that this Sunday at 2 p.m. Pacific, we will be doing a party to celebrate uh, the 1 million download mark that we hit at the end of season two. We're very excited. You can find out all of those details on our website. And uh, something we didn't mention at the start of the show is that we went to FlameCon and we had a blast. And up on our Patreon page, and this is for everyone, you don't have to be a patron of ours. You can just go on over to the page to check it out. You can see some photos that the incredible Heather Hogan took of us while we were over in New York celebrating with all of the other wonderful queer creators at FlameCon. 
And also, Heather Hogan, while she was there at FlameCon, was following us around writing a beautiful, incredibly powerful, just fucking perfect profile on Jenny and myself for autostraddle.com. That link is over there on our Patreon page. It's like a bajillion word essay of just the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me, followed by the nicest thing anyone's ever said about Kristen, and then that just sort of repeats. Yeah, it's it's really, Heather Hogan is just just amazing. I mean, Heather Hogan is like one of my favorite writers in the entire universe. So yeah. getting the chance to have her write about our life and our work on this very podcast was very special. There's a lot of fun information in there. Everything from like what our week looks like in terms of production to like Jenny and her feelings about capes. So yes. I, I highly suggest that you go on over there and check it out if you haven't already. Uh, and I think that's all we have. Gee whiz. First episode down. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Till next time.
We have to try to find ways to find peace and art and love and connection in the midst of the chaos of life. So that's life writing. I am so excited to have comic and daily show correspondent Roy Wood Jr. Well, hello. That joke was birthed from my trip to the African-American Smithsonian in DC, which that was the first time I saw something where, all right, on this floor, it's nothing but good news. Mm. We've gone through slavery, we've gone through desegregation and emancipation proclamation and reconstruction but on this floor beyonce michael jordan Issa ray thank you for coming <laughs> come and join us on life writing for more stories like these and the tools writers need to make yourself the hero or heroine of the adventure of your life life writing is available wherever you get your podcasts